When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into Best on the Board presented by BetMGM. Michael Feller here with you. It is Friday, May 6th on this episode of Best on the Board. We take a look ahead to Saturday's NBA playoff action, Game 3s between Bucks and Celtics and Warriors and Grizzlies. These teams uh, have had a couple of nights off with the little switcheroo with Friday's games being the, the series that we have most recently seen. So uh, well-rested teams are as well-rested as you could be in the uh, first week of May coming into this Game 3 or these respective Game 3s. Joining me to break down these two Game 3s is Jason Jones, national NBA reporter here at the Athletic. Jason, what's going on, man? How you doing? Nothing much. Doing pretty good. It was weird. It's weird when you have a night like Thursday with no games. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, I you know get a chance to get a little extra work done. But yeah, it's a uh, should be an interesting weekend. Very strange to have no playoff games uh, on Thursday night. So good that we have a full weekend ahead of us. Of course, we've got uh, on uh, on Friday night, we've got uh, the other two series, Sixers Heat and Suns Mavs going off. Then the two games we're going to talk about uh, on Saturday. And then Sunday, back to Heat Sixers and Suns Mavs for the game fours in those two series. So a full weekend of basketball ahead. As I said, we talk about game three between Bucks and Celtics and Warriors and Grizzlies. Uh, those series both tied at one. One game apiece. Let's start in the Eastern Conference, Jason, where the series shifts to Milwaukee and the Bucks are favored by two and a half over the Celtics in game three. Two twelve and a half is the total on this one. And these have been two games that have both been comfortable victories. Game one for Milwaukee, game two for Boston, and pretty low scoring, which is maybe not a huge surprise. These are two very good defensive teams. It's not a surprise that Milwaukee would maybe try to slow things down and win even more with their defense with Chris Middleton out. But even with knowing that coming into the series and knowing these are good defensive teams, been surprising to see the loser, at least in my estimation, the loser in both of these games stick south of 90 points. I feel like we might get more of the same of that in game three. Yeah, I think you said with uh, Middleton out, Giannis is pretty much their offense, and everything's gonna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of what they do is generated by Giannis, and you don't have that, you know, that all-star level wing shooter out there to kind of you know, space things out. And like we said last week, can you really? Because you really count on Grayson Allen to give you five threes a game <laughs> every time out. Mm-hmm. And you said two good defensive teams. Boston can, you know, they got two guys who are dy- dynamic scorers in Tatum and Brown. But just because I think the nature of the two teams are so defensive heavy, I really could see another. I think we could see another, you know, 104, 100 type game just mm-hmm. because I don't think even if, you know, even a blowout in this series is not like, you know, scoring 130. Right. You know, and, and even, you know, I think I was watching the game, the game two, it was, it was even the commentators were saying it wasn't like Milwaukee just played terrible defense outright. Yeah. Boston made, I mean, how many times are you going to outscore teams 60 to nine on threes? Mm-hmm. 
It just doesn't. It's just not going to happen. So I mean, you know, sometimes things can be so crazy in a game. It's more of an outlier. To me, that type of gap is an outlier. Liar. I expect it to be a much closer game, even if the scoring is a similar. You know, in terms of you know the winner getting in that low one hundreds. Um, I'm not expecting a blowout. Yeah, I'm not expecting a blowout either. But I am expecting another low scoring game. I mean, I think that's you know the the you said it, right. Like Boston has you know two right now dynamic offensive players in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But they've still been an excellent defensive team all season, and they can you know, they can play games up into the they can score themselves up into the 130s. But that's just that's not going to be the style of play that we get in this series. You know, this is you know we we talk about it a bit on this show. This is not some midweek January game where the teams are, you know, just staying healthy, trying to win, but, you know, if they lose, whatever, no big deal, and, you know, semi going through the motions, and that leads us to a, you know, 130 to 125 style of game. Like, these teams are both locked in defensively, and you said it right, the commentators were saying in game two, it's not like Milwaukee played a horrible defensive game. Well, in game one, it's not like Boston played a horrible offensive game, or defensive game either, right? I mean, that was a game where they only gave up 101 points in it. The Milwaukee shot 41% from the floor, uh, Giannis was nine for twenty-five for twenty-four points in that game. It's—I mean, Boston played. You, if you told Boston that before the game, right? Milwaukee's going to shoot forty-one percent. Giannis is going to go nine for twenty-five and score twenty-four. And Boston signs up for that eleven times out of ten. If you tell them that before the game, Boston played a great defensive game in Game One. Milwaukee's defense was just that much better, and Boston couldn't get anything going on the offensive end. And so I just—we look at the series and we look at playoff basketball and we look at what these two teams are coming into the series. And you think about Chris Middleton being out and what he does for Milwaukee's offense, and then what having a player like that on the other side of you forces your offense to have to do. Like these are, I think this is going to be a series that is defined by defense overall, and then individual offensive greatness from guys like Giannis and Tatum. And so that leads me to thinking, two twelve and a half is an easy number for this to come under. I don't want to play either side of this because I, I really, frankly, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to make of the head-to-head just team matchup in this one with the Bucks being favored by two and a half. I feel very comfortable in the under. What are you thinking in terms of outcome? We're making picks every single day. You and me and a bunch of other of us on the Athletic NBA staff, we're making just straight up picks every single day. What is your pick ultimately for this game? Uh, I like Milwaukee going back home, a couple of days off, to the team with championship pedigree to get a game three, understanding how pivotal that can be mm-hmm. in the big picture. And that, I don't think that means the series is over by any stretch. Oh, yeah. But I do, I do like Milwaukee to win game three. I mean, to me, this is going to be a six or a seven game series. How do so they do? I like, I like, I, I do like Milwaukee going back home two days off. Is it the same sort of style that we've seen, you think? Is it the same sort of where, where it's like a 105 to 90 something sort of game and they keep, you know, they keep Tatum and Brown in check enough to keep Boston way below where we would expect that offense to be producing? I think so, just because of the way the two teams play. And without Middleton, I don't think Milwaukee's interested in getting into you know, one of those real high-scoring mm-hmm. games, and you, now you got to rely on someone who maybe isn't a 20-30 point you know, game guy. Maybe you, you don't want to have to say, okay, Bobby Portis, we now need 20-25 from you, or yeah. Grayson, we need 25 from you, or even Drew Holiday, who can't – who can score, but he's not a, you know, this is not, he's not a John Moran at the point type score. Right, right. He is an opportunities presented to him type of score, not a takeover the game. 
right. type of score. And that's it, it's like this isn't the Bulls, right? Like right. those opportunities are presented in spades against the Bulls, and we saw Drew have a big game in that series. We saw Grayson Allen have a couple of big games in that series. This is a much different defensive beast that they're going up against in Boston. The most interesting bet to me in this game, Jason, and I'm not playing it, I don't think, I'm a little bit tempted, is actually Giannis's uh, points prop. It's at 29 and a half. And like, I mean, you just never see that for Giannis. Giannis is one of these, you know, a group of guys who lives in like the low 30s. You're typically going to see on the low end, maybe 30 and a half or 31 and a half up to like 33 and a half. So to see Giannis at 29 and a half always jumps off the page, but it tracks not only with, with the way the series has gone, uh, 28 points in game two, that's obviously his high watermark for the series, but the way this whole regular season went against Boston and something that James Edwards and I talked about before this series got going, you're never going to totally stop Giannis. He's Giannis. You're not going to stop him, but Boston is maybe the best built team to be able to contain Giannis and not let him just run roughshod over you. So 29 and a half points. It's an interesting prop to think about when you're talking about this player against this defense. Yeah. And the the fact they've made him into like a a volume shooter, so to speak, (laughs) to get his points. The only thing scary about that is that, you know, he's nine for 25, had some rough shooting nights in the first couple of games. If he hits 50 (laughs) percent, you know, he's going to he's going to pass that 29 and a half easy. Uh Exactly. And yeah, nine for 25 in game one, 11 for 27 in game two. So uh, you do expect, uh, you know, one of these games, he's going to, he's going to get the shot attempts, especially without Middleton. Like there's no question, like 25 is going to be a floor for his field goal attempts. All it takes is, all it takes is 13 makes and, you know, five free throws and there you go. He's over the number. So it's, again, it's, you're tempting fate with that, certainly, but it's just, it's crazy to see Giannis down at 29 and a half. I'll wrap it up with this. The one prop that I am going to play in this game is Jalen Brown to go over two and a half threes. It's minus 140. Don't love that sort of juice on it, but you know, Milwaukee's defense is built. They will, they will give you the three. And we've seen that really all season long. They have uh, their opponent shot distribution, 45%. Uh, from behind the arc on the regular season. The only team that uh, allowed more three-point attempts for the year was uh, the Heat at 45.6%. And then they're 19th in terms of expected three-point uh, percentage, and that's makes. So this is a team that you know plays as great as it does defensively by not, you know, conceding the three, but giving up more three-point attempts than basically any team in the league. So Jalen Brown to go over the two-and-a-half threes, I think that's something uh, that feels pretty comfortable. And just to give you an idea of where other things stand, Jason Tatum is at three-and-a-half threes, and that's at minus 170. So not only are these guys great offensive players and very good shooters, but just the way Milwaukee plays defense lends itself to giving up more three-point attempts. I think Boston takes advantage of that to uh, the extent that at least Jalen Brown makes three threes in Game three should be a great game in Milwaukee. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. All right, Jason, let's talk about the Western Conference game that we have on Saturday. Game three between the Grizzlies and the Warriors. Warriors take game one in thrilling fashion, uh, a 117-116 victory in Memphis, and then Memphis comes back, gets game two. John Morant, a singular performance, 47 points 
in that game too. The series shifts to the Bay Area where we have the Warriors favored by six and a half. 225 and a half is the total on this game. What are your expectations for game three? I expect the Warriors to try to get up and down. You know, they're not going to uh, – Memphis won't have Dylan Brooks for game three. So yep. there's one person who's potential 20, 30-point scorer that they won't have on that side. So it would be no surprise to see them try to you know, accelerate that pace and make – and force Memphis to find someone else to help keep up. Because, I mean, Jaws outstanding. I mean, 47 in game two. And without Gary Payton the second. I don't know who they put on Ja to try to slow him down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, you don't want to use Steph in that role, probably. Uh, I I don't know if Clay is the defender he was pre-injury. If, you know, you know if he can really count on that. I don't know. If, I don't think you can use Jordan Poole in that role. So it's I like I said I expect. I mean, Ja's going to get his points just because of the, the, the nature of their team, and I think that's going to be an up and down game and. Back home, Steph's going to get up about 10, 12 threes at least. Mm-hmm. Clay will get up about the same amount of number. Pool, you know, it's, I expect a lot of points. <laughs> I think that's, uh, you know, it's going to be a familiar theme in this series. And Jaws prop uh, for the point scoring, for what it's worth, is 28.5 in this game, minus 115 on both sides. That I, That's going to be really interesting to see what Steve Kerr decides to do with uh, against John Morant with Gary Payton out because, I mean, you just you rattled off the names and you could throw Andrew Wiggins in there too. Like, I would expect there to be some sort of a rotation on him because, like, like you said, you don't really want to put any one player, any one of those, like, key scorers for Golden State in, in the position of having to spend – 35 minutes on Ja, you just, you don't want to do it. You don't want them to be, you know, courting fouls in that way. You don't want them to be expending that sort of energy on the defensive end. Gary Payton really is the perfect guy to be guarding Ja Morant for Golden State in this series. And so it'll be interesting to see what, what Kerr does in that, not only just for game three, but as an indication of what Golden State's going to do the remainder of the series with Gary Payton out. That's going to be, I think, one of the uh, real stories of this game three. I also think that I mean, look, look, Memphis is awesome, right? Memphis is a great team, second-best record in the NBA all season. But you look back at that at that game, too, and you get Gary Payton knocked out of the game. Obviously, a very chippy game. You need 47 out of Ja on 15 of 31 from the floor, five threes. I mean, Ja, ja can obviously have five three-point games, but that's not something you really count on him doing. He does so much more of his scoring by getting to the rack, by beating players off the dribble, by being that sort of explosive player that he is, really special sort of talent in that way, special sort of player in that way. And then he drew a ton of fouls, 12 of 13 from the free throw line. And you still squeak that game out. You still see Memphis winning uh, by just five points in a game that was tied going into the fourth quarter. And so a lot of things fell in Memphis's favor, home court also notwithstanding. And they still squeak that one out by uh, outscoring Golden State by five in the fourth. Now we're talking about this series shifting back to Golden State. No Dylan Brooks, as you mentioned. And Memphis is another team that, you know, we talk about it with Dallas a little bit. Um, When you have, you know, it's sort of like Luka and the rest. And, you know, Memphis isn't quite in that position, but they are the sort of team that it becomes very hard. Like their scoring options thin out quickly. And when you take Dylan Brooks off the chessboard, it really does change things in a dramatic way for this Memphis team, I kind of think Golden State rolls in this one. I, I think they cover the six and a half. I think that this is uh, this is a a moment for them to reassert control 
over this series. And so I, I really do like Golden State laying the six and a half in this one. Yeah, I do too. And I think I I would say maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. fills some of that role. Sure. But Jaron Jackson Jr. can't stay out of foul trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so it's, yeah, I think this is one of those, you know, similar to Milwaukee coming back home, had some rest. They're down Dylan Brooks. They'll be fired up to play. The crowd will be going. Six and a half should be no problem for Golden State in game three. Jaron Jackson did that also in game one, uh, 33 mm. points in that game. But, he, I mean, you know, he needed six threes to do it. And, again, like, you know, one six three-point game out of Jaron Jackson Jr. shouldn't, like, shock us. He's he's sort of got that club in his bag. But is that something you're really going to rely on as a as a spot to get your offense from? I don't think so. It just it just becomes it becomes this is a really interesting coaching matchup in this game specifically because of just sort of the unknowns on both sides. So Steve Kerr, Taylor Jenkins, it's going to be I'm fascinated to see what these two guys break out in Game Three at the start, and then how they adjust once they you know get their their feet underneath them with Dylan Brooks out on one side and Gary Payton out on the other, and just the key roles that those guys play in in this series. And not to belabor the Gary Payton point, but like there might not be another series the rest of these playoffs. Assuming I mean, Golden State wins this and moves on where he has as large a role to play just because of what he does defensively, particularly against John Morant. And sure, you could say Phoenix, maybe, you know, if they move on, they, they would really miss him against Devin Booker or something like that. But it's just this this is a singular sort of matchup for for him and for you know Golden State. And so it's going to be really, I think, pretty fun to watch what these coaches do as the game starts and then what they do once they start feeling one another out. But I think Golden State, this feels like yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna sit here and say Golden State wins this game by 20, but I wouldn't be surprised if we are talking. You know, if, if the uh, if the announced team is finding uh, game four storylines to talk about with like eight <laughs> minutes left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, but the only thing that gives me pause is John Morant. Yeah, I oh, mean, sure. we saw Ja go down there last year in the play-in situation, and mm-hmm. you know, and beat and beat the Warriors in San Francisco. And when you got a guy rolling like that, really anything can happen in a series. But I still like Golden State in this game just because, no, they're veterans. They've been here plenty of times. And even without Gary, they do have a lot of different things they can throw, throw it, throw Jaws away. Guys they didn't have last year. They have some, you know, like I said, even if Clay is not all NBA defense Clay, mm-hmm. at least he's 6'7. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good to be able to throw that sort of height at the uh, generously listed six foot three John Morant. So uh, great get, great day ahead of us. We, we we got that disgusting no basketball Thursday behind us. A great playoff basketball weekend ahead of us with two games each of these next three days, including Friday, the day that we are recording this episode. That's going to do it for best on the board for this episode. One quick programming note before we sign off: I'm on vacation next week so there is not going to be any best on the board coming your way don't worry we're not going away forever just going away for one week so we'll be right back with you the week of may 16th to get these things fired up once again so enjoy that week and thank you for listening to this episode of best on the board for jason i'm michael beller good luck happy betting we'll talk to you soon